Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, it's Jeff McNichol down here at Mom's Music, 1900 Melwood Avenue. I was just thinking, when I was a kid, the magic was at Frankfurt Avenue. The Mom's Music at Frankfurt Avenue. And I used to beg people to get a ride down there just to hang out with the guys and see all the cool gear. Now that I'm the owner of this store, it's like a dream come true. We're recreating the magic with the vibe that we used to have at the old store. We're carrying all the gear that you're going to possibly want. We're giving you the outstanding service and personal attention that you deserve. Yeah, so we've got the great guitar shop here. We're carrying USA Fender, USA Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, Gretsch, Jackson, Charvel, anything you could possibly want. We're going to have it for you. Mom's is and always will be Louisville's music store. Hey, it's Mark Maxwell at Maxwell's House of Music. Listen, all this stuff is now available to purchase on our website. Check it out at maxwellshouseofmusic.com. We carry all the top brands, like Fender. We got Gibson. We also have basses. We've got ukuleles. We've got drums. We've got sound gear. We've got keyboards. Tuning into the Metal Forge, I am Mark Jackson and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com or visit the website MetalForgeRadio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What's going on, Metalheads? Thank you all for tuning into the Metal Forge for this special bonus edition on Halloween Day where my guest will be Demolition Man Tony Dolan from Venom, Inc., Adam Craft, Empire of Evil, and so many more projects. Got to talk with Tony earlier in the week uh, because of the time difference and so on and so forth. Super fucking awesome guy. Hope you all dig it. I'm not going to spend too much time here. If you're going out tonight, either to parties, taking your kids out trick-or-treating, please make sure you wear your uh, PPE, your masks, you maintain social distance because, you know, flattening the curve, as it were, not creating more outbreaks, so on and so forth. Be safe, be smart, protect yourself and protect others. That's really the big key to being able to do anything like this. And if you're going out to shows that in places where there's relaxed guidelines and so on and so forth, seriously be safe. Be kind and courteous to the others that are there. It's for everybody. 
I want to do something really cool here really fast. I want to do a little bit of a month in review for the Metal Forge. Um, we have had over 300 new likes on the Facebook page. We've had over 150 new likes on the Instagram page this month alone. We've also featured Rob Alani's from thrash band Evil Dead. We featured the band She in an in-person interview from Louisville, Kentucky. Toronto, Canada's Villain over the phone. Awesome cats. Uh, check them out as well. Vidar the Silent from uh, Legendary in Pittsburgh. Super sweet, epic power metal. We also had uh, our first bonus episode with Steve Gatrost from Spring Street Tattoo in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Super cool guy. And yesterday we had Goat Bong on the show with Dirty Mike. All of these people have content out there that you can purchase. So look them up, check out their sites, you know, pick up a patch, pick up a CD, pick up Steve's comic book. But seriously, check these people out. Give them your love. If any of them have Bandcamp pages, the first Friday of every month, Bandcamp, until 2021, Bandcamp is waiving their side of the fees and giving it directly to the artist. That's where things matter most. So please, hook those people up. Go through the archives. Look up everybody else that's been on the show. They all have Bandcamp pages. They all uh, have websites they all have facebook pages give them likes give them shares subscribe to their stuff go buy merch because those are the people that are impacted by this the most the ones who are unable to get out and work because they play shows for a living they put out albums for a living they put out comics and they give tattoos for a living so i'll get off my soapbox now we'll talk about something else As I mentioned in the show last week, I was talking about doing some heavy metal book reviews. That's coming. It's going to take some time. i got to write stuff down. Don't remember stuff like I used to, so I'm going back through books and seeing, hey, yeah, that was a good fucking part, you know? So look forward to that coming in the future. And I do want to take the time right now to thank everybody who's become a Patreon subscriber in 2020 and, and the ones who have been on there since the beginning. It's patreon.com slash metalforgeradio. You can find it all there. Uh, the tiers, all of that stuff, you know, it's like $1, $5, $20, and you get... Uh, and there's some pretty cool stuff that you can get on there, like t-shirts, patches, uh, stickers, free access to a lot of stuff. You know, you get put in uh, drawings here and there when I am able to give away things. You know, concert tickets, Tattoo Charlie's gift cards, even Amazon gift cards. But, hey... Who's counting, right? But seriously, I love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you smash the subscribe button, hit the like button, give the reviews on the Apple Podcast Network. Tell me where you want me to go next. Seriously, send me this info at metalforgeradio at gmail.com. Shoot me a message on the Facebook page or the Instagram page. I look at all of that stuff. Nobody does that for me. I do it all myself. I put together the shows. I talk to the guests. I coordinate all of that. Let me know what you want to hear. Cool? And a big heavy metal thank you goes out to the sponsors, Mom's Music, Maxwell's House of Music, the big crews that go on at both stores over there, Jeff, Mark, Howard, Mike, Brooks, uh, Bobby, Bert, all of you fucking people are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Tattoo Charlie's buddy and the crew, thank you all so much. Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards, Kenny and Tony Marine, thank you guys so fucking much. You all have been awesome. Tune into the Womp Rat podcast for uh, Darth Skippy, by the way. He's a fucking kick-ass dude. 
and the Wrestling Steve show, because he's my buddy. Right? Right? He's my buddy. So tune into the Wrestling Steve show, the Womp Rant podcast. Go to Mom's Music. Go to Maxwell's House of Music. Go buy gear and whatever you have left. Go buy a tattoo at Tattoo Charlie's in Louisville, Kentucky, because fucking right. Now let's go to war with Venom Inc.
All right, Metalheads, and I'm being joined on the line right now, and this is a pleasure for me. Demolition Man Tony Dolan from Venom, Inc. Tony, across the ocean today, how are you doing? That we're doing really good, Mark. And and just so that all the listeners know, this is Mark's podcast, but, you know, the guy is literally just coming from work and then called the UK. So, you know, he hasn't had no food. He hasn't took his socks off yet. So he's, <laughs> he's, he's going commando on us. So thank you so much, Mark, for having me. And, and I'm reaching out across the ocean to a very, in a very strange time to, uh, I guess, America is on the edge of something, and what is it, eight days or something? You guys are going to, I don't know. The, yeah, we have the a presidential gonna... election coming up here in just, yeah. in just a few days. And... Man, it's it's mayhem. I'm, I'm watching it on, uh, you know, I watch CNN, but I also watch Fox. I watch NBC. I, I, you know, I follow as much online to get both sides, but it just looks crazy. So I hope you guys come out of it well. It's one, you know one of the most amazing countries in the world and i've had the pleasure of of spending a huge portion of my life everywhere in america apart from hawaii and alaska but i i grew up in canada and so it's very dear to my heart i have amazing friends amazing people i know all over the united states and i just hope everybody's safe everybody's well and whatever happens in the election that america is still the america that we all love you know absolutely and thank you for that i hope so too because it is, it's really, it's really crazy. And yeah, but you know, we, sorry, sorry, I cut in. I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a gobshite, we call them in England. And that's my mother's fault because uh, I'm uh, English-Irish, so I talk too much, but uh, carry on. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I get the thing of talking too much from being Irish too. <laughs> oh, well, there we go, there we go. Touche, touche, brothers, you see. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you started your career yeah. with a group called Adam Craft. That's correct. Uh, back a long time ago. You, oh, you, my God. Well, not yeah. too crazy long ago. 1979. No, no. Was it, yeah, it's not like it was 1946 or something, is it? So <laughs> right. That, I feel better about that. So, you went on to release quite a few EPs and a full-length album. And yeah. then you, you got a call to come into Venom. Tell me about how that happened, because you started in the band when Kronos had left, correct? Yeah, he he kind of, yeah he kind of went solo. I mean, um, you know, uh, um, the, the the town we come from, Walls End, um, it's kind of was a small town, and uh, uh, I I was into punk rock, so I had a punk rock band, and then we kind of uh, I saw Motorhead accidentally, and that blew my mind, and I wanted to do that, so. The drummer I had, although he was playing punk, he was a metalhead. So I eventually kind of, after seeing Motorhead, migrated into metal. And um, there was only one recording studio in our town. And it just happened to be where Raven, Tigers of Pang Tang, Fist, and all, all those bands were, were, were recording. And so naturally, I ended up going there too. And of course, I met uh, uh, a very young Kronos before he was Kronos. And uh, um, Mantis, uh, Jeff. His girlfriend used to live across the road from my house. And so, um, you know, I was kind of around the guys from the beginning. And, you know, I loved them. And, and I was doing similar stuff, although not satanic, but very dirty, fast, you know, uh, grotesque stuff uh, with my band Amcraft. And we got signed to Meat Records, as was the same label as Raven and Satan and, and uh, of course, Venom. And 
And then uh, Abaddon uh, uh, and uh, a guy called Eric Cook, who was managing Venom, um, started managing our band once we got signed. And so we did a couple of tours with Exodus and Venom, and, and we did some sh- other shows with Venom. And then um, I did a tour with Adam Craft with Nasty Savage from Florida, Big big Ronnie and, and Ben and, and Dave and the guys, and uh, a band from Germany called Exuma. And it was a European tour. We went behind the Iron Curtain. It was very successful. And when we got to the end of that tour, uh, it was about 1988. Um, the, the singer that I was using at the time, because I used to be bass vocalist, but we, we brought a singer in so I could focus on rhythm guitar I was playing at the time. And um, the singer decided he didn't want to be in the band anymore. And so he left. And then the guitarist decided uh, he was going to leave. And I had the option, should I continue or should I just call it a day? And we'd been going since 79, so I was a bit, it's now 1988, and I was thinking, fuck, you know, I think we missed the boat, and, and I was kind of fed up with the whole thing. But then I got a call from Abaddon and Eric Cook, and they said, would you come down to a pub and come and have a chat? So I went to have a chat, and I thought they were going to talk about Atmancraft and what, what am I going to, what's the plan to do next? Should we get new members and stuff? So I went down, we were having a drink, and then they just said, um, look, this is the deal. We did uh, Possessed, Mantis left after Possessed. Then we did Calm Before the Storm, but the album didn't do very well. People didn't kind of dig it as like being real Venom. Um, it was more Kronos solo, I guess. And Conrad has left, and he's gone to America with the two guitarists that we had on Calm Before the Storm, and he's going to go solo. So I said, oh, no, fuck, what are you going to do? And they said, well... You know, we have a record deal for another three albums, uh, Venom albums. But uh, Abaddon didn't want to wait to, you know, see if Kronos might ever come back. Uh, and Mantis didn't want to work with him. So they said, you, you're friends with Jeff and uh, we need a bass vocalist. So I said, well, I'll have a think of who could work. And then they said, you, obviously it's you, because you know us very well. You know where we went wrong. You know the band, you know the music, and you, you're our friend, and you've been there forever. So you're like the, the, the biggest Venom fan, if you could call it that, um, that is that knows the band personally. And so I was like, oh, wow, so what do you want me to do? And they said, well, you know, we're players grown up and, you know, help us write the new album. So I was like, well, you know, I didn't think that I was replacing anybody because, you know, I knew Conrad was doing his stuff. And I didn't want a world without Venom because it was really important to me. And I think it was really important to the industry at that time to have a band like Venom who were independent, weren't signed to major and were a bit kind of uh, anarchistic. So uh, I said, yeah, great. So I went away and I wrote uh, four or five songs. And then um, they said Mantis was coming in, but he said no. Uh, And then I got a call to go and see Jeff. So I spoke to Jeff. And he said, well, I don't want to do it with uh, Conrad. And I said, well, Conrad's not in. So he said, well, so you're going to do it. I said, well, I'll do it, but on the condition that you do it. Because I I felt that you could have like an Abaddon, a Kronos. You could have a Kronos, a Mantis. You could have a, a Mantis Abaddon, but you couldn't just have one of them. Uh, and so I said, you know, I, I, I don't see how it could be a, any kind of Venom without at least two of you. So if it's me and Abaddon, we need you. And so Jeff agreed. He wrote a couple of tracks. I'd had a couple of tracks. We put them together, and that was primeval. And that was it. I was in Venom. During that year, we, we recorded the whole thing 
and then released in 89 and we we were on tour and we did the albums and so that's how it happened and that lasted from around 89 to 92 ish correct yeah 92 92 was uh the wastelands we released the wastelands which was the last album i mean i think i think primeval was the best one because um we were more focused the money from the label came in and uh, we had nick talba who was famous for doing whiskey in the jaw with uh, thin lizzy and stuff he'd also worked on the calm before the storm album so he knew where venom were trying to sound and uh, we got on very well and he did a great job and hence we had uh, primeval um the following ep was was called from some live stuff from primeval and then uh, I wrote a, a lot of stuff, you know, for Temples of Ice and then for the following album, Wasteland. But we didn't have control of the artwork. We didn't have control of the studio. Um, uh, Abaddon decided he could produce it with an engineer. And they did okay, but it was nothing like Primeval. The, the songs were good enough, but the, the production was bad. And the album artwork, I didn't like it. We didn't see it until it was finished. So that was, you know, things just went a bit crazy and we didn't tour anymore. After Primeval, after about 1991, we didn't do any more shows. So it was like, what the fuck's going on? Right. Um, and so uh, by the time we got down to doing the Wastelands, I think Jeff was kind of uninspired. He did a couple of tracks, but that was it. Uh, I wrote the rest and um, it was kind of a finale. And, and then I got offered a big job. And I just thought, you know, I think we've done as much as we can. The 90s were very difficult because you had, um, you know, Nirvana and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, grunge stuff happening in America. It was huge. Metal wasn't so much so big anymore. Um, and in England, we had a huge surge of Britpop, you know, like Blur, Oasis. So it kind of, I think it was kind of uh, killing itself. And uh, and I thought it was just time to and um, of course, then Pantera, they broke the mold again, much like Metallica had, and, and it all started off again, the whole black metal movement and everything else. So it was amazing. But at, at the time, by 92, I think Jeff was a bit uninspired. I was a bit uninspired. So we both thought, you know, maybe we should just leave it here, you know. Um, Venom did a reunion uh, after that, about 96, which lasted for about 15 months. And then... <laughs> Um, and then Abaddon was out, and uh, and then Mantis went, and they were back to that again. And of course, by the time we got to, I did some work on Mantis's solo album uh, uh, in the 2000s, uh, uh, Zero Tolerance. Um, not Chuck Schuller's Mantis Zero Tolerance, but Mantis from Venom Zero Tolerance. Right. And uh, so we'd always been working together and stuff. And then we had an idea with Anton, who had is Cronus's brother and had also been in Venom to uh, to to maybe uh, do something together the three of us. So we started to record it, uh, Empire of Evil, uh, which was an anagram of Prime Evil. Uh, just I mixed the letters around and we became uh, Empire of Evil. And we did uh, Health of the Holy, and then we did a, a couple of releases. Anton had left. We got another drummer in, Mark Jackson, who is now with a band, British man called Acid Rain. And um, we carried on like that until I think it was um, 2015 or something, or 2011, or uh, I, don't, I can't remember the dates anymore, Mark. I'm so old. But, um, <laughs> oh, come on. You're not, we, you're still a spring yeah. chicken, dude. 
Well, you know, I try my best. I try my best to stay young. You know, inside I'm I'm only twelve, right. as you could say. As but, as we all are. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Never let go of that child. Never let go. I still get thrilled when I see a toy shop at Christmas. I'm like, oh, can we go in and have a look? It's like it is. You know, but because you. I don't know how how it is over there for for that stuff, but over here in America, you know they they're releasing a lot of the stuff from when I was a kid. Yeah, they're doing like a a, a new release of it. So like, oh, no way. Yeah, like uh, I'm a Masters of the Universe fan. Oh my god! You know, I I stole a Castle Grayskull once from a Kmart. <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God, I, 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 I think it was uh, maybe about 82, 83, 83 and I was in, in uh, uh, Canada where I, where I visited my sister. She was doing a, a student nurse thing, or she was studying nursing, and she had two kids, my two nephews, and uh, Michael was three and, and, and Lynn was six, and so I spent the summer looking after them, and it was Michael's birthday. And he had this big thing for He-Man. And we had all the characters, you know, all of them. And uh, he won a Castle Grace College. They just released it. And we went to a Kmart and they had one in the box. And I put it on the bottom of the shopping trolley. And then we went round, you know, and got all the rest of our shit. And when we went to the pay- payout, we did everything. And then I walked out to the car, pushing the trolley. We started putting everything in the car. And then Marie went, oh, shit. The box is underneath, and I went, "Oh my god, I forgot about the box." And we went, we looked at each other, went, "Put it in the car, put it in the car." <laughs> uh, it's that honest mistake that says, "Well, yeah, oh well." It was divine intervention, divine intervention. <laughs> right. I call it. Yeah, someone for, went, "You've got to have it. You've got to have it." So yeah, for sure. So after the split up of the what is being referred to as the primeval lineup of Venom, yeah. yeah. You got into film. I did, yes. Now, before before we get into the film thing, yeah, uh, give me some backstory on the the name Demolition Man. Oh, did, well, did this come in when you were, were when you were in Venom, or did this come no, in after the films? It it came in uh, in about nineteen eighty eighty one, oh, maybe wow. nineteen eighty nineteen eighty. Um, and um, we did a show. We were we were uh, weren't scheduled to play this live show, but uh, uh, I was in town with with the drummer. We were in a record store, and uh, two of my friends came running in, and they went, "Oh shit, we just had a phone call for you." And I was like, "What?" They said, "Yeah, there's a band from the USA coming over. They're playing a show, uh, Warrior, and there's a support band, and they've dropped out. Um, and they they called us and said, "Do you think Atomcraft could play the show?" So I said, yeah, sure. So we ran around and I found my guitarist and I said, we've got a show to do. So we, we got all our shit together and we went all the way down to this place called Billingham and loaded ourselves in and um, <clears throat> got ready to do the show. Now, in those days, everybody did solo. So you'd have a drum solo, you'd have a guitar solo, then you're supposed to do a bass solo. And it was standard. You know, if you went to see big bands, there was always a fucking drum solo. You know, 20 minutes of like, I don't know, someone hitting skins and stuff. And so oh, yeah. that was part of the gig. So we had these solos put in to give ourselves a bit of a rest as individuals. And it came to the bass solo. And it, there was like a table, I remember, on my right-hand side. And there was two guys who'd just been talking all the way through. Uh, I couldn't hear them, obviously, because we were quite loud. But I could see they just were talking, not taking any notice. So when I did my bass solo, I decided to run across and jump up onto their table 
which is what I did. But unfortunately, all my cabling was wrapped around the amp head. And as I jumped up onto the table and I hit the bass, there was no noise. And someone went, fuck me. And when I turned around, I pulled the stack over. All the valves had exploded and the fucking thing was on fire. Oh, shit. And I was like, fuck. So there was like sticks that was trying to put this fire out on our equipment, which we borrowed from Avenger. So it wasn't even our fucking equipment. I was thinking, oh, my God, they've got a rehearsal tonight when we finish. Fuck. So we're trying to find these flames. And very casually, my guitarist, Steve White, he went to the microphone and he just went, ladies and gentlemen, the demolition man. And that was it. Yes. Everybody told me that after that. <laughs> that is classic. And it's probably the the best uh, Spinal Tap-like story I think I've ever oh, heard. Oh, completely. It was, to- <laughs> it was totally the, the, the you know, those pods where Derek can get out the pods. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I know. Fuck, it was totally one of those Spinal Tap moments. You know, that's why Spinal Tap is such a famous film, because every band that watches it goes, fucking hell, it's so true. That's exactly what it's like. You know? Oh, absolutely. I had a guitar player one time, you know, how oh. the the quarter cable will yeah. will jostle around and you'll get feedback or you won't, yeah. or it'll cut your sound. Yeah. Throughout the entire song, he w- it was doing this. And then it finally comes to the part where it's like a, a four count of him just chugging. Yeah. And then it immediately cuts out. Fuck. So all he does is he raises his arm like Derek in the pod. And I was like, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's, 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 that's it. Just go for it. <laughs> you, know, you know, Jeff Jeff always says, Mantis always says, like, you know, uh, um, he would pull off these crazy stances and they would get great photographs of them. And uh, he said, all those, all those moments are taken from the fact that if you make a mistake, just pull a really cool move and nobody notices that right. he's looking at you. And that's kind of what it is, you know. But it's like, you know, when, when uh, Nigel has the interference on his wireless system uh, from the airport, it, it was like that. In Neat Records, where we used to record, there was a taxi for, uh, firm next door, uh, like a cab company. And every now and then, you'd if you'd like stop recording and you'd hear them going, can you pick up from number 13 down there? Hello, Derek, are you there? You'd be like, fuck. We'd have to send someone down to the cab firm could, could go, can you just be quiet for 10 minutes? You know? No it kidding. Was nuts. Absolutely nuts. The radio frequencies interference. It's like yeah. the bane of yeah. any, uh, any old school person totally. who has like a, totally. a, a UHF transmitter or VHF. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Now it's Just all crazy. different, at least. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was how the name came about, anyway. And it just it just kind of stuck, you know. Apart from the fact that I do break everything at some point, so I'm a bit dangerous <laughs> like that, you know. So I guess that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you didn't, well, yeah. what, you know, what would be the story? You know, I what mean, a fucking stupid, what a fucking stupid name that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's like Father Christmas. If he if he hated Christmas and he wasn't actually a father, what would be the point of that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Real quick, I got to take a break. Hey, everybody! Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge this week. I really appreciate every last one of you that listens. But before I go any further, I do want to tell you that we do have a Patreon page here and there's three tiers. There's the dial in $30 tier. 
If it's just a buck, hey, you're not going to miss a buck. Nobody does. Then there's the $5 Showstoppers tier, which you get a patch, stickers, whatever we have that's in that price range. And then there's the $20 a month Master, where you can get a t-shirt, any size, any color of the Metal Forge logo. Fuck yeah. That's awesome stuff. Oh, and by the way, if you donate on there, guess what? You get the show two days in advance from everybody else. Thank you all so much. It's patreon.com slash metalforgeradio. Check it out and donate today. I love you guys. Thank you. You were in Judge Dredd. Yes. In 95. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, I think that film gets a lot of, uh, a Stick, lot of, yeah. a lot of, a lot of bad rap. Yeah. Because I actually like that film. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I think, Mark, I kind of liked it. Uh, Danny Cannon, Danny Cannon, who directed it, went on to do, um, uh, went on to do the X Files, and he's fucking brilliant. And um, it was done by Synergy, and the and they wanted to have uh, Sylvester Stallone. They wanted to have a, a star on the bill, and um, the, the 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 problem was, and I've done a couple of movies like that, and the problem with that kind of thing is, in 2000 AD, Danny Cannon was a big fan. And it's a, it's a British comic, you know, so it wasn't that known in America. But this was a, a kind of good angle on it. But the thing is, in Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off. So you never see Judge Dredd without his helmet on. Right. Uh, um, and, of course, it's synergy. It's Hollywood. And it's Sylvester so Stallone. So the first thing is, like, right, get his fucking helmet off as fast as you can. And so Danny was fighting that all the way. You know, he was like, Judge Dredd doesn't take his helmet off. They went, fucking Sylvester Stallone is our box office. We, he, he has to take the helmet off. And I went to the premiere in London. And when he takes the helmet off, the whole fucking theater, 2,000 people went, boo! You know, and I thought, uh, this is not good. Right. And, uh, and I think that was it. You know, they really made the movie and it was a bit gritty and a bit better. But I think it's one of those things. It's like, you know, low, uh, uh, um, what was it called? The one, the one they just did with Macaulay Culkin's uh, son based on mayhem. You know, when, it, when it's, uh, when it's something that's so ingrained as a story, it's very difficult to Hollywood it and have it accepted by the fan base, you know? <laughs> and so I think it was a pretty good film. It was made very well. The effects were really good. Uh, uh, the performances are really good. But it just wasn't the comic, you know, and and that's why people didn't like it. Very much. I think it, like I said, I think it gets a bad rap, but I think now it's become one of those cult films. Yes. Where you yeah. have like a, uh, a group of people who really, really like it and a lot of people who are just like, nah, screw that. That's, that's, exactly. that's not exactly. that good. <laughs> Which, you know, Mark, I think that happens. It happens with movies, but I think that happens with music too. You know? Oh, it's very like, much. You know, people are just going, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear I don't want to hear If it's not Aussie, I don't, I don't care. And then you go, but Dio, you don't think Dio's very good? And you go, oh, yeah, Dio's fucking brilliant. So what was wrong with him? Yeah, and I think it's the same with movies. There's, there's people who are purists and just won't accept it because it's not pure. And then there's other people who go, well, I'll take a risk and maybe it's good. And, you know, I think that's that's the same thing with movies like that. Oh, absolutely. Very much. Then there was Wild Wild Web, Master and Commander. Yes. Uh, with Russell with, Crowe. Hey? Yeah, with Russell Crowe. Oh, Bentley. Yeah. That seemed to be a pretty big blockbuster film as well. Yeah, that was good. I think they did $200 million on it or something like that. And um, I think it only made like 170 back. And so they didn't go into second production. However, it made, I think, uh, the last I heard was something like 
close to 300 million in DVD. So it was really popular, the whole movie. Um, but I mean, that was a great movie. Peter, we had directed that, who did the Truman Show and Picnic Hanging Rock and amazing. And of course, Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany, who went on to be Vision in, in the Avengers and Jarvis, the, the voice in. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, so, you know, it was a, br- and it was a brilliant cast. Billy Boyd, we had, who just literally finished Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, and, uh, I was very lucky to get in that, and it, it was an amazing movie. We shot in Baja, Mexico, in the uh, dry tank where they'd done Titanic and did Deep, and uh, we spent five months in uh, Mexico, living in Mexico, shooting the movie. And I think it was brilliant. And I think the reason um, <clears throat> the reason we didn't max it at the box office wasn't because of the movie. It was because Disney um, decided that they wanted to do a kind of ship movie. A, a, a period piece, and they they wrote uh, and they wrote, located, and shot, and released Pirates of the Caribbean just before Master and Commander went out, and right. of course Johnny Depp, and it was a huge fucking smash. So we kind of came off the tail end because ours was a serious movie. Of course, Pirates was like a bit of fun from, and it was Disney. So I think that sort of changed people's heads in the, the other direction. But as a as a as a playable movie, it's been amazing. I mean, I get messages still. I get messages going, "You're on TV tonight, Master and Commander." So it's it's on rotation constantly. So you know, but it was I, I loved that movie. Um, I was contracted for two movies because there's 16 books in the series of of uh, by Patrick O'Brien and Master and Commander is just one of the books. And there was an, the next one was supposed to be Desolation Island. And then there was a, a third one planned, but only Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany were contracted for that one. Um, but, um, you know, time and the script, I don't think uh, Peter Weir wanted to direct another one. He didn't think it was so possible. And Russell's been working and he didn't like the scripts that were coming for the second one. So we're still waiting. You never know. I might do it when I'm 80 if Russell decides he wants to do it, you know. Definitely. Who, who knows? So how does that work? I know how it works like with uh, the music end of it. So how does it work on the the royalty end for being in a film? Do you get well, residuals you from TV stuff? No, no. You, you basically, well, not when you're at my level, you know. Uh, um, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the famous story is Alec Guinness. When Alec Guinness was offered uh, to be in Star Wars, uh, um, George Lucas just said, basically, it's a budget movie. I don't, I don't have a shitload of money. But we can pay you this. But why don't we do this? If we give you this amount of money, we can give you a couple of points off the movie. And if it does well, you'll do well. And Alec Guinness uh, read the script and, and thought about the movie and thought, well, this is just going to be for fun because this movie is not going to do any business. Right. And so he he took the points and he took the bit of money they gave him and he did it. And it was Star Wars. And, and he became well, probably imagine. the richest person off of that film. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's like, who would ever know that, you know? Um, but but on our level, we were just, um, I mean, I was very well paid for it, but it was just for the movie. So, you know, while I was on the movie, my wages were paid into a bank in the UK. I was given like, uh, you know, $500 PDs every week. Uh, the food was all free. I was given a car. I was given a condo. So, you know, first class everywhere. Um, you know, so I, I couldn't complain about it, you know. And for a working class boy from 
Wall's End in the north of England, it was like, holy fuck. I mean, Hollywood, you know, because it was 20th Century Fox. So they were amazing. It was amazing, the whole thing, you know. So, uh, But, yeah, you don't get royalties off that. I mean, unless you're a, a big movie star and, with some pulling power. Yeah, unless you, your name comes pre, pre-title. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. So you do the The Empire of Evil. It comes back in around 2010. And, yeah. and then in 2015, Venom Inc. Yeah, it was a weird one, you know, Mark, because uh, it wasn't planned in any way. And when we were doing the Empire albums, it was purely Empire. But when we were doing, when we were doing the, uh, um, when we were doing live shows, fans would keep seeing, because we played all over the world, you know, right? China, Japan, Australia, well, not Australia, but South America, loads of times, America. I mean, Europe, we did several times. So we did like some 600 shows or something in a couple of years. And every show we got to, people would go, will you play Black Metal? Will you play Welcome to Hell? Will you play Countless Battery? And we were like, and this isn't Venom. This is like Empire of Evil. But the fans were just going, yeah, but Mantis is there. You're there. We can't get to see Venom. Why don't you just play them? So every time we went out on tour and we were doing a festival or whatever, we'd ask fans, what would you like us to put in the set? And they'd suggest Don't Burn the Witch or Die Hard or Bloodlust or whatever it was. And so we just played them um, just for us, for fun and for the audience, because that's what they wanted us to play, because they wanted to hear them. And that's kind of how we were going. And then uh, we had an, uh, an Italian drummer at the time where we were just about to finish called uh, Francesco uh, Frollo La Rosa. And uh, he's now with the Mango Lotro Violence. But a very good drummer, very, very good drummer. Like the Dave Lombardo of Italy, they call him. And um, a young guy, but he was brilliant. For, and we were having a great time. And then I played, I was invited to play a, a retro new wave of British Heavy Metal Festival. And they contacted me and said, would you put a band together and play the Armcraft album, Future Warriors, because you've never played it in total. So I, I was intrigued by the idea. It was in Newcastle, so I thought, yeah, I'm going home and I'm going to play my album for the first time ever. So that's what I did. And I got Paul Caffrey, who's with uh, Gamma Bomb, an Irish drummer with the Thrashman Gamma Bomb. And I got a guy called Crane Meyer, who's now with Artillery, I think, from Denmark. And, uh, and the three of us went, we rehearsed the album and we went to this show and played it. And then the next day, I got a message from a guy uh, called Oliver Weishammer, who does a festival called keep it true uh in germany southern germany and he said oh tony i just wanted to say i it was amazing hearing the album live and you got mantis up at the end to play the encore and i said well i had to didn't i he's my brother and he lives in newcastle and he was there so i had to get him up to play and he said i've got this idea did you know that abaddon was in the audience and i said uh, yeah i knew he was there somewhere and he said, well, I was watching Mantis on stage, watching you on stage and looking at Abaddon in the audience and thought, why don't you guys do like a Venom set? And I said, well, you know, they don't get on very well and nobody's got contact. I don't think it could happen. And he said, well, I do this festival. It's 2000 hardcore uh, retro fans. Would you come down, maybe play five Venom classics? Like I'll book you Empire of Evil. You can do your set. And then if Abaddon just happens to be there, you could jump up and play five classics for the for the fans. And uh, I didn't, you know, I, I said, I don't think it's going to happen because they hate each other. Um, and Oliver said, if anybody could make this happen, you could. So I set to work. I asked Abaddon, he said yes. I asked, I had to convince Jeff. Uh, we just finished 
we just finished the um, uh, we just finished the a, Rus- a tour of Russia, and so uh, we flew straight into Germany and um, met Abaddon there. Picked the five songs we were going to do, and that was it. We were off. We just got up on stage and did our set. And at the end of the set, we switched over. Abaddon came on stage. Everybody went nuts, and we did five Venom classics. And that was it. We were supposed to now go home and had some fun, and everybody enjoyed it, and it was all over. But what happened was uh, it went straight viral on the internet, and everybody on the internet started going, you have to tour. You have to do a tour. We want to see the band. And then I was getting uh, offered uh, to play everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. Um, uh, come to South America. Come to Japan. Come to China. Uh, come to Australia. Come to... I was like, fucking hell. So it, 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 it was a bit crazy. And so I talked to the guys and I said, look, this is the deal. We did this for fun. But um, people want to see the band. So what do you want to do? We could maybe do 12 months, just tour, have some fun, play a load of Venom songs, go home, and uh, and that's it. And they both said, let's do it. So that's what we did. And Venom Inc. was born um, because they wanted to use uh, they wanted to use the original logo. Uh, the, the agents and the managers wanted to use the original Venom logo. And I said, well, I can't be Venom because Kronos is still doing Venom. And I don't want that. I don't want any conflict. And so they said, well, think of something. So I thought, well, if we do any music that we've written and only the music that we've written, uh, one of us or all of us or two of us or whatever, um, we could incorporate everything that we've done. And I thought, oh, that's it. Venom Inc. Venom Incorporated. Meaning that Venom is part of what we do. And they're synonymous with Venom. So that's how the name came about. Okay. So that's a good thing that it wasn't like the heaven and hell versus Black Sabbath debacle. No, no, absolutely not. Which is great. Yeah. And I think, you know, over the, over the time, I think Kronos is trying to throw stones at us to go, ah, they're just doing that. And obviously hardcore fans are going, oh, it's like a cover band or something. It's like, well, you can't actually say if Jeff, is standing on stage playing Witching Hour, a song that he wrote, or Sons of Satan, or In League with Satan, or Black Metal, all songs which he wrote. How can he be covering his own songs? The singer's different, I grant you that, but it's 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 still this still that band and those guys who wrote those songs, and that's how we looked at it. So I I just thought let's get all those. I mean, we play things like Dead of the Night, uh, Lady Lust, uh, Manitou. I just want to get all those Venom songs that are so cool that they never played live and that Kronos doesn't play live and give those to the fans. Because at the end of the day, like I said to Mantis, you know, when you start out as a band, the music is yours. It, you own it. It's yours. You wrote it. But after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you don't listen to those albums every single day. But there are fans out there who do. The music becomes theirs. They own the music. You wrote the music, but they now own the music. It's it's helped them through their good times, their bad times. It's made them feel happy. It's it's given them strength, and it's given them great enjoyment. So if they want to hear a song, I think it's our duty to play it for them, and that that's what we did. Very much so, and I agree a hundred percent with that because it's it's fans that that make the music that make enjoy totally- the music, and that you know, it it is a it is a service at a, at a certain degree. <laughs> 
you're 100% right, Mark. I mean, that's the thing at the end of the day. And when we used to go out as Empire of Evil, um, I told Jeff, you know, you've got to, you've got to tell the fans, you know, this. And it was what I always was espousing was like, look, you know, without the fans, there is no bands. You know, the fans are the people who buy your merch or buy your music and like it or don't like it. So, you know, um, they have rights too. And they, they, if they've bought an album, they should at least hear songs from the album live because that's what, that's what they love. And so it, it is about the fans at the beginning. Without any music fans, there is no labels, there's no magazines, there's no bands. So it, 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 you respect your fans and they're part of what you do. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. And that's how we conduct ourselves, you know. If, if a fan writes and they really want to hear a song live at the next show that we do, I try everything I can to play it for them. And I think they have a right to that. Definitely. So the tour happens and then you all, I guess, get together and start talking and say, you know, what about putting some stuff on tape? Well, you know, it was John Cezula. Um, Johnny Zeef, uh, who Megaforce, Metallica, and Drax, he had Megaforce Records. He's an old friend, and in the 80s, he was the first one to take Venom to America. And, um, you know, uh, we've been friends, and, and I love him so much. And I was managing the band, as I still am now, but I needed help. And so I reached out to Johnny, and he moved from uh, uh, from New Jersey. He moved to Florida for health reasons. And um, I basically convinced him to come back out of retirement. And he was working uh, with a management with Chuck Berry from Testament. And so they said, yep, yeah, we'll manage it. And um, uh, not long after we'd been uh, going, uh, John said, you've got to make an album. And I said, I don't think we should make an album. It might destroy the band because of the politics and money. I said, we're just enjoying playing live. Uh, and uh, we don't owe anything to anybody. We don't have any label that we is breathing down our neck. There's no responsibility to anybody but ourselves. But John convinced us that we needed to do at least a demo. So we had stuff from Empire of Evil for the next album. So me and Jeff had a think. He pulled out a couple of tracks. We wrote a couple of new ones. We demoed them. Johnny had a listen to them, and he said, these are great. Who do you want to go with? Who should we pitch them for? And I said, well, I, I don't want a label, you know, because it's going to cause all kinds of political shit. And I said, but if there's one label that I would go for, it would have to be Nuclear Blast because they were friends of mine. Uh, Yap Weedmaker, who, who, who works there, is just been so dear to me over the years. And I said, that's the only label I would consider if, if we could get them. And so that's what we did. We sent three songs to, to Nuclear Blast and they basically on the turn of four said, OK, we'll take the album, get recording. Huh. That was it. Then we were making an album. And the interesting thing is, is I actually had just read that in Heavy Tales, where oh, no way. where uh, Johnny Z talks about how you all had come into contact with him, and he goes, "Yeah, they brought me back." <laughs> yes, exactly. Back from the dead. Back from the dead. Which, but you know, he's he's still there, our guru, my godfather. He's still there. Absolutely. You know? so, He's not frontline with with it anymore, but he he's still there. So I refer to him as much as I can because you know the guy's been around the block and he's made his millions and he did for Metallica and Anthrax. So you can't really go wrong, can you? 
Oh no, and the, even the stuff with Chuck Billy and Testament, uh, the even the management company Breaking Bands oh, yeah. is is you know has had some really awesome people in the past that they've managed. Okay. So yeah, completely. You know, and the fact that he was with Maria Ferrara, the PR company, who was doing PR for Chris Management, but Chuck, I mean, having Chuck there, I mean, I don't know, he's the most. I mean, he's a great singer, of course, and a great band in Testament. I mean, they're top notch, but. But on a personal level, there's nothing about that man I don't absolutely love. He's the kindest, you know, smartest, sweetest, strongest, generous person I've met in 30 years, you know. I, I love him to death. To have John and to have Chuck there was just incredible. It was incredible, yeah. Oh, I can't say nothing, nothing bad about Chuck because I've met him one time. And it was when my band opened for him years and years and years ago now. Ah, uh, okay. And just the nicest guy, like, hey, how how you doing? You know. Always, always, yeah. Extremely cordial, extremely cordial yeah. guy. All right, we'll be back in a snap. Stay tuned. More to come with Demolition Man Tony Dolan from Venom Inc. Hey, guys. Wrestling Steve of the Wrestling Steve Show here. Uh, so if you're currently listening to the Metal Forge with Mark Jackson, then you understand that Mark Jackson has a pretty discerning taste when it comes to music as a whole. You also understand that he has a discerning taste for professional wrestling, just like me. The, my show is called The Wrestling Steve Show. Uh, I talk about modern and classic pro wrestling in a completely unbiased, unfiltered way. Be sure to check me out on all available podcasting platforms. That is The Wrestling Steve Show. And I am the host, Wrestling Steve. Just remember, uh, like like Confucius said, uh, man who goes through turnstile in Thailand uh, is going to Bangkok. Pro wrestling. Amidst COVID and all of the, the bullshit that's going on here, what's next? Well, you know, um, uh, we are in the middle of doing the new album. So we were going to have it ready. I had a hip operation. We played a lot of festivals last year and toured. And the last festival we did Hellfest and Vakken. And after Vakken, I was going to have a new hip put in. <coughs> Excuse me, because I was struggling to walk. Um, and so uh, because I was going to then recuperate, we thought we'll do the new album. Uh, of course, then all of a sudden this plague hit the world. And so we've had all year. So we've just taken our time. We've written 20-odd songs, and we're just fine-tuning them now, and uh, which we did. And so now we're just down to vocals. So I'm just finishing off the vocals for the album, and then Mantis will uh, mix and produce like he did the first one, and we're ready to go. So that will go out. We need a three-month run-up for the album, so once we deliver, so I'm, I'm thinking probably early next year. And, and there's no rush. Um, I mean, it is new music, yes, but we can't tour until who knows when. We're, we're aiming for May, June uh, 2021, but you just don't know what's happening with this virus. Maybe we'll get held up. But certainly the album will go. But, you know, we're, we're booked to play uh, Armageddon Fest in South in Brazil, and we've got a whole South American tour lining up. We're, we've got a European tour with Massacre we've set up. So, you know, I just hope that we can get touring uh, as soon as we can next year. But either way, there'll be uh, uh, the first album uh, will be the next album will be out early early doors in 2021 and and a special live thing coming up as well so uh, that's going to be quite cool so lots of good stuff's in there hell yeah 
so I want to rapid fire some questions here to you really fast okay. uh, before we go. I'm going to be posting links below to where everybody can uh, purchase the album, which is uh, Ave. Yeah. 11 awesome tracks. Love the song War. Fucking, uh, thank you. It's fucking One of my killer. Anywhere where, you know, people can follow Venom Inc. and Empire of Evil and the Mantis stuff as well. Exactly. Just incorporate it. Don't forget Venom Incorporated. Yes, Venom Inc. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any shout outs you want to give to anybody? Everybody, Mark. I shout out to everybody. <laughs> I mean, yes. I just got the, I just got the new Troops of Doom album. So for uh, Metal Distro in uh, uh, Mexico, who are uh, my friend Topo, who are now distributing that, and Rodrigo Scalza, who set the deal up and helped the deal. It's the original, one of the original guys from Sepultura, and it's his new EP, Troops of Doom. It's fucking killer. And, um, you know, Nevosa. Uh, I mean, there's just too many to go through. Torture Squad, all the bands, Survive from Japan, uh, everybody. A big shout out to all the fans. You know, thank you so much for supporting us. And there's too many individuals to name. So wait till you get the album because there's a five-page booklet, which is just a thanks list. <laughs> wow. Hell yes. That's that's so cool. So, rapid fire questions. Yeah. What is the last thing you watched on YouTube? Oh, my God. I just, I just literally... I just literally, I was watching on YouTube, Sisters of Mercy, Temple of Love. Hell yeah. What is your favorite color? Blue. Denim or leather? Leather. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who do you wish you saw live that you never got to? Oh my God, I think probably the original Deep Purple. What was your first concert? My first concert was Kiss. Kiss awesome. in uh, at the Cobo Hall in Detroit. No shit. It was about seventy-four. Wow, that's super yeah. I didn't. Cool. I didn't even know. I didn't even know kids that well. It was my um, my one of my best friends, older brothers, uh, got some tickets and said, "Oh yeah, you want to come to the concert?" I went, "Yeah, why not?" And I went and saw this circus and thought, "What the fuck was that? That's amazing!" And it was Kiss. So there you go. What is one thing you'd change about yourself? Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to have hair. I'd still have my head shaved. I'd still shave my head. It would be nice to have hair that I could shave off. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what song or band do you never want to see again? Oh, my God. That's unfair. What <laughs> song or band? Oh, my God. I can't answer the, that. The, the, it's, the, it's the burnout factor that oh, you've just heard shit. so much of it. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Not because they're just absolutely shit. I probably <laughs> do want to hear Number of the Beast again. And uh, I didn't see Iron Maiden with Bruce Dickinson because I was a Paul Diano fan. But the band I wouldn't want to see again, uh, ooh, that's a hard one. I, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I don't know. I love I love music, and I just love bands. So Hell yeah. We'll go with that. Uh, uh, you, you just don't want to hear number again. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the number, yeah. There was a, there was a pop song famous in England in the early 80s, I think, by a guy called Joe, Joe Dulce, and it was called Shut Up In Your Face. I'd, I'd really like never to hear that to you again in my life. That would be good. Definitely. <laughs> Sabbath or Zeppelin? Oh, Sabbath. Sorry, Zeppelin. Sabbath. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, What's your biggest regret? I don't have any. Awesome. I don't have any. Yeah. My, my, my ethos is um, do it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. But I never wanted, I always said when I was 16, 
I'd never want to be an old man sitting on a rocking chair on a porch looking at a sunset going, you know what I wish I'd done? I have either done it or I haven't. That's it. Word. I can agree with that 100%. How do you unwind after a show or a tour? Fucking hell, me. Well, usually when we were on tour now, uh, Jeff's got me into a routine where we'll have a cup of tea and a biscotti biscuit after once we're on the bus and everything's calmed down and we're, we're on our way. Um, after a tour, straight to the gym, just to get my mind, because you still have that adrenaline flow after shows, uh, but Jeff likes to be really quiet and settled, and so he likes that peace and quiet. Uh, I kind of just like to keep going. Um, but, but then after a tour, I still have that energy, and you come down really quick, so I just, want, I just go to the gym, I, I box and I do my weights and that keeps me keeps me up. Right on. What is the worst album by your favorite band? Oh fuck. Oh god. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know I don't know if it, I don't know if it's the worst album, but I just don't like 1916. And it's maybe not the album. There's some okay tracks on there by Motorhead, but it, the track 1916 with that that kind of poetic thing with the cello and stuff. It's like, ooh, it's not, it's nasty. I don't like that. So, yeah, probably I'd say 1916 is not the worst album by Moorhead, but but not my least favorite. Understandable. There's some there's some banger tracks on that album, but yeah, yeah. the the whole uh, the 1916 thing. Whereas I, mean, I, I agree with why he did it, but yes. but. Yeah, it kind of does uh, fall flat. Yeah, for the, for yeah. an album closer, in my opinion yeah. as well. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of one of the, the, the I never dug the cover version things that Lemmy did. You know, the rock and rolls cover the Chuck Berry stuff or the the Wendy or Williams Stand by Your Man. I I'd never got all that kind of stuff. I didn't. I just like Motorhead to be Motorhead. That's what I wanted. So a bit selfish, but no, I get it. Believe me, I'm a huge. Uh, they're the only band I have a tattoo of, ah. so I get it. <laughs> they're uh, yeah. they can't release anything that I don't really appreciate at this point. So, no, exactly, exactly. It's like you know when you say what your favorite band is, Motorhead it is Motorhead, my favorite band, and and what's your least favorite? It, that's difficult because I do love everything. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and for a band to have two really defining halves of their career. Yes, absolutely. With the original lineup, yeah, and then but then Mickey, Mickey and Phil. Oh gosh, the best, you know. And Wurzel, I loved Wurzel so much. He lived not far from me, you know, and uh, that was a tragic, you know. And but you know, I, I, you know, seeing Motorhead in 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 seventy eight, seventy nine blew my mind. And then you know, I just loved them all that way through. And then when it all changed, I was like, oh, I don't know, but you know. If I if I want something that just sets my fire, I pick up uh, them, uh, Phil, uh, uh, Mickey, and uh, Lemmy playing Overkill from Vakin. It's just like fucking no. hell. It's I, just crushing. They didn't tour a lot where I'm from uh, in uh, the, in the states. Uh, I kind of live in like a uh, like a black hole for bands to come through, like major oh. bands. <laughs> And got, um, yeah. one of the cool things is I actually got to see them for the very first time uh, about three months before he passed. Ah, uh, shit. Uh, and it was the first full show they played on the tour. Yeah. And it was absolutely amazing. And I can 
see myself in the picture they took from the stage. Oh my God. That's, so, that's brilliant. And well, you it's know, one of those things. I, I got the same kind of, same kind of shiver as you, you know, because, um, the first album I ever made was No Sleep Till Hammersmith because it was recorded at Leeds and Newcastle City Hall and I was in the crowd. So I'm one of those voices screaming, Dude, uh, cheering. That, so I always t- used to tell people that's the first album I ever made was No Sleep Till Hammersmith because I'm on it. <laughs> that is fucking amazing. I, yeah, just, just still one times. of the best live albums ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, wow. Even now, you know, and I used to... When I used to babysit my younger sister and my mum was at work, I would open, I'd, she'd go to bed and then I'd put on the stereo, I'd put the, the vinyl album on and then I'd open the curtains and turn the lights out and I lived in like a main road so people were walking past all the time and then I pretended I was playing the show as more ahead. And I'd be looking <laughs> yes. So it was really cool. So that album just stays with me forever. All right. One more question on this. Okay. All right. Who would be a dream musician to either meet or work with? Oh, would have been would have been Lemmy. Would have been Lemmy. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Tony. Yeah. Demolition yeah. Man Dolan, thank you so much for coming on to the Metal Forge and hammering out some awesome questions. We look forward it to was, this new album coming out. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, to be on Metal Forge was an absolute honor and to to have you coming from work and do that was brilliant. And I send everybody a thanks. Stay with the Metal Forge. Keep listening in. The guests, the music. Support Mark and support the Metal Forge. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you again. And on the way out, I'm going to play a live track from Venom Inc. I'm going to play from St. Vitus (gasps) Bar, Countess Bathory. Oh, killer. Killer. Okay, enjoy it all. And we shall see you next time very soon. Sing the chorus and you sing it fucking loud. You know this one. Let's go.
musicians rejoice. Confused with all the modern and technical pedal board selections? Look no further. Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards offer their homemade wooden and custom pedal boards for guitarists and bassists alike. Established in 2013, KYHBPB has helped support not only the local Louisville scene, but a large array of big and small players from across the entire country. More info can be found at KentuckyPedalBoards.com. How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works. It breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Because voting isn't always about going to the polls on Election Day anymore. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are more available to voters these days and growing in popularity. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works, and it takes the guesswork out of the voting process. Some of the things you can do with How to Vote is sign up for your election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance in requesting your mail-in ballot, check for voter registration status, Find your polling site and make sure you have the appropriate identification. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. You know, I, I stole a Castle Grayskull once from a Kmart. 